Hello, and welcome to episode 187 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. A warm welcome to Carmen R., J.A., and Russ R. to The Modern Manager. To learn more about the membership program and the resources available to help you up-level your management skills, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. Now, today's guest is Perrine Fark. Perrine is an author, entrepreneur, keynote speaker, and diversity and inclusion expert who empowers leaders to leverage diversity and inclusion as their competitive advantage. She was nominated in the top 50 most influential UK tech women, and Perrine continues to be recognized for her contributions. She drove strategy at companies such as Facebook and is on a mission to make the workplace more inclusive and diverse. Perrine and I talk about the experiences of feeling depreciated and rejected and what we can do to continue to develop our people management skills as the world of DEI evolves. We get into the use of language, anti-bias trainings, and how to engage your team in the process of creating an inclusive culture so that all team members, regardless of their own identities, feel included and appreciated. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. It is such a pleasure to have you here today, Perrine. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Mamie. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's just dive right in to this juicy topic of diversity and inclusion. And I've done a couple episodes on the show about diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, DEI-related topics. But in all of those conversations, never has this idea of rejection and depreciation come up. And so when I read that chapter in your book, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. So can you just tell us what are those words? What do they mean? You know, What is that all about? Yeah, great question. It's actually, it's a very personal experience of mine. And I talk about it a little bit in my TEDx talk. And of course, I talk about it in my book. But if I had to summarize in a few words, during my career in corporate, I was working in corporate uh, for many, many years. And at one of the companies I was working at was a technology company based in the U.S., I had a manager who I felt essentially was not really appreciating me as as an employee, um, not really... I, I, did, I never felt included in, in that team. I always felt rejected. And it, it had been, you know, months and months of, you know, that sort of relationship. And I was trying to build uh, on our, you know, doing our one-to-ones. By the way, I was based in London, UK, and my manager was based in the US. So, of course, it doesn't help, you know, the distance. But still, we had our weekly meetings, weekly one-to-ones, et cetera. And I always felt that my voice didn't count and always felt rejected, et cetera. And uh, I talk about it in my TEDx talk when... One time I, I flew from London, UK to California to my company's all hands uh, meeting or annual summit with all the employees from all around the world. And I, I was sitting in my hotel room and I was looking at my agenda, my calendar to see where I was supposed to go next because we had a very busy schedule. And I found out by accident that all my team pretty much had been invited to a women in leadership lunch and, and I had not been invited <laughs> So all my excitement from being there in California with my team just just vanished. And I just felt completely excluded and rejected from that group. And for me, it was a bit of an aha moment where I felt, 
um, completely rejected and depreciated, essentially the opposite of feeling included in the team and feeling like I belonged. And so that experience, that personal experience of feeling rejected and depreciated really led to uh, feeling disengaged from my team, from work, and then more disconnected and eventually less productive and even looking to leave the organization. So that's sort of an illustration of what I mean when I talk about feeling rejected or depreciated in the context of the workplace. I mean, first of all, what a, a horrible experience to go through. and. That's like, I can understand how that would kind of lead you down this path. And I love this phrase depreciated because we talk about like, do people feel valued and appreciated? But really what you're saying is that it's not just do they feel those, but do they also not feel the opposite? Are they, because if it's not just neutral, like, oh, people are either appreciated or feeling neutral. It's, it's appreciated or depreciated where they, they specifically don't feel valued. and that seems like a, a pretty intense feeling for people to have in the workplace. Yeah. And, and also in my experience, it doesn't always come from a bad intention. So let me explain what I mean. And some managers, I believe, don't have necessarily evil intention or don't want to create a horrible workplace. I think a lot of the times we have a lot of inexperienced managers or first time managers. In fact, that manager was relatively a, a young manager, so quite young you know, very brilliant in her field and her area of expertise, but in terms of how to manage teams, especially how to manage international international teams, teams that are geographically distributed over different continents, that's where there was a big gap. And so that felt that and uh, that came across during our one-to-ones, during uh, interactions and team meetings it was quite obvious that, you know, that lack of um, management skills or emotional intelligence, etc. And so I think I always talk about when I in my workshops and, and trainings and sessions, I always talk about good intentions versus bad intentions versus you know well intention because um, sometimes people have very good intentions or managers have good intentions, but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily translate in actions. So I think that's what that is why it's very important for those managers, especially young managers and first-time managers, to receive some some form of training or learning and development around how to manage a team because people are not born managers or leaders. I think people are built. You know, you learn those skills over time, and so yeah, especially those first-time managers, I think they could benefit from receiving extra learning and development and training, etc. I completely agree on the the framing that you're having of, of especially for first time managers that you have to actually learn the skills of people management. It's not just something that works. We kind of expect people to know it, but really we have to develop those skills. And if we don't have the right training and we don't have good mentorship, it's really hard to just mm-hmm. know how to do it. But at the same time, I think in some ways it's the older, more seasoned managers who sometimes think we know what we're doing so well and mm. really we're the ones who are, you know, kind of unwilling to look at our own behavior and acknowledge that, wow, maybe the way I've been behaving for the past, you know, 10, 15, 20 years is not as inclusive as I thought. Yes. Right? Like that feels like a just as big of a problem. Do you, do you see that yes. in your work yes, as well? Yes, absolutely. So I see on one hand, I would say older managers or managers with more experience, more years of managing teams, I I see they tend to have better sort of emotional intelligence. They tend to have better communication skills in general. 
uh, as opposed to the younger managers who are more, more used to sort of manage via Slack or man manage via text or man manage via, via WhatsApp, where there is less, in my experience, there is less emotional intelligence. So on one hand, yes, older managers, more experienced senior managers tend to be better with emotional intelligence. But at the same time, you're, you're saying this, right, mommy, uh, things change constantly, trends change constantly. Nowadays, there's a lot of debate around inclusive language right now, inclusion. And so older managers, maybe they're in their 50s or 60s, they might not necessarily be aware about these new terms, the right way to say certain things. Maybe certain words that were okay 20 years ago are no longer okay now. So especially when it comes to how to talk about women in your team, for example, or I think back in 20, 30 years ago, it was quite common to say ladies and gentlemen or ladies. Nowadays, it's seen, it's considered a bit more sort of old school. And also it's back to a time where women were more quiet and more reserved. So things like that, you know, ladies, nowadays we say, you know, women, or, you know, we talk about gender inclusive language, how to say, hey guys, you know, when you, lots of people nowadays, they start a meeting with the high guys, when you have a lot of women and men in the team. And I know in the US, but also in Europe, Many, many people say hi, guys, when they address a mixed group of men and women. But ultimately, when we think about the etymology of guys, it's actually obviously referring to men. So the way, you know, language shifts and language evolves, uh, language is constantly changing. In fact, the dictionary is changing every year. So those older managers, they also benefit from ongoing learning and development and awareness around how to manage, especially when it comes to inclusive langu language. It, completely. And I, you know, I, even ways that we can like leapfrog on some language, even things now like women and welcome, you know, women and gentlemen or, or mm -hmm. it, in that and of itself is almost non-inclusive now mm -hmm, where we're at mm -hmm. because we think about gender being gender fluid or gender non-binary. And so saying things like, you know, welcome everyone mm -hmm. or, you know, those kinds of terms, like it, it's constantly evolving and it's not always easy for managers to like keep up with yeah. all of these terms. But I, I want to dig a little deeper in this because there's more than just gender at play when it comes to inclusive language. So can you talk about some other areas beyond gender that inclusive language is really important? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I want to start by acknowledging that, you know, it is challenging because the inclusive language is constantly changing. I mean, if we talk about this in one year from now, it will have new things that are okay, not okay. So I just want to acknowledge it's a challenging area, but as long as someone, people are willing to learn and, and make mistakes and learn from it, I think that's the spirit. So, but yeah, so the one is gender inclusive language, for example, you know, saying, you know, hi everyone, instead of saying hi guys or hi ladies and gentlemen is more inclusive. Or we talked about, you know, ladies, it's better to say women, it's a bit more respectful nowadays. But beyond that, there is that idea of ableism, so ableism is essentially when we talk about people with disabilities, physical or mental disabilities, you might have heard someone saying uh, someone is maybe when it comes to physical and mental disabilities, saying, for example, oh, my boss is a psycho, you know, as a, she's a psychopath, for example. That's an a form of ableism uh, because essentially you can have people with mental health disabilities in your team. And saying that someone is a you know, psychopath might not be as inclusive. So being aware of your language when it comes to ableism and any reference to physical or mental disability is something to be aware of. Another area is jargon. 
a lot of us have a tendency to use jargon, a lot of jargon. And one form of jargon is sort of the actual expertise of area we have, whether we have marketing jargon or finance jargon or other. But being aware that, you know, if we use one thing is using jargon within the context of our team and our weekly meetings, and that's something. But then let's say if you're interviewing a new candidate, um, and maybe you're a part of the panel the, for, the, for the committee to interview someone, and if you start using jargon in the context of an interview, that candidate maybe is, is from another area of expertise, you might uh, unintentionally make them feel uh, excluded. So being aware of some of the jargon you're using. And then there is other forms of, you know, in, in terms of language, we talked about depreciation. A lot of people work really hard to acquire maybe um, be called, being called a doctor, for example. A lot of people are really proud of being called um, doctor something something and so you know titles and demotions being aware of how people like to be referred to so those are examples of inclusive language that goes beyond just gender inclusive uh, language yeah i love these examples and you know one that came to my mind as you were speaking were things like when we'd say like you know are we being blind to you know mm-hmm. what's happening in the market right like it's mm-hmm. such common vernacular in at least in english in the united states but yet it really it, it's based on ableism, as you were saying. Mm-hmm, and it's absolutely. not something I ever, right? I never would have thought about that before. It's just a common way to kind of ref- refer. Absolutely. Even dummies, you know, we talk about dummies. Let's create a dummy for that or a dummy for that. There are other ways to say a draft, maybe. Or people talk about blacklist. Oh, that's the black or blacklisting someone or whitelisting. There are other ways. We can talk about the block list, for example, as in blocking blocklist in terms of blacklist or whitelist um, could be called just a list. So just being aware of those additional uh, sort of daily sort of yeah words that we use and be, uh, being a little bit more aware uh, can really go a long way in creating more inclusion in our teams. Yeah, I love this. All right. So are there other things that managers can do specifically to be more aware and to start to create more cultural inclusion on their teams? Yes, absolutely. I think um, I actually recently wrote a blog about sort of, you know, the top sort of diverse, I called it the top diversity skills to have in 2021, because, you know, they change every year pretty much. So it's hard to keep up. So I think if you're a manager, whether you're a first time manager or senior, more experienced manager, or even if you manage a small team, maybe you're an entrepreneur and you have a team of two people. I think there are definitely some skills you can acquire to create more a more diverse and inclusive team. So I think number one is be an advocate and an upstander. So it's very simple, but thinking of yourself as an upstander, you know, speaking up when something is wrong. If you see something or you hear something that that sounds not right or sounds like it's you know, not equal, equal, unequal treatment, you, you should really speak up, be an advocate and stand up. So it's, it's simple, but sometimes people are a little bit scared to go out of their way to do that. So really that's, that's the first step. The second step is to be a student. So never stop studying, you know, people who always listen to podcasts from people from underrepresented groups or read books or watch maybe television programs, or you might join a charity, just always learning uh, about people who are a different gender from you, a different age, maybe a different religion, different country, because you can always learn things that you are not aware of. A third um, sort of skill that I think is important if you're a manager is to consciously fight unconscious bias, stereotypes, and microaggressions. 
And so you can do that through um, diversity and inclusion trainings or inviting a speaker to talk about, you know, the most common microaggressions or the top, you know, hotspots for unconscious bias in your workplace. But really being aware of those unconscious bias and stereotypes and fighting these. And then number four, the fourth skill I would I would share with managers is to um, create inclusive messaging both internally in your organization and externally. And by that, I mean, you know, think about your marketing messages that you send out in your marketing campaigns. You know, are the images that you're uh, using in your content, are they inclusive of different groups? Is your website inclusive in the pictures, the images? Do you have any maybe subtle or unconscious bias in your marketing messages maybe that you're not aware of? So doing an audit of your website, your marketing messages, et cetera. And the last point, the last advice I would share with managers who are listening to us now is to cultivate what I call cultural awareness or uh, multicultural understanding. You, you, you might have teams, actually nowadays, especially we live in hybrid work and remote work, you might have remote workers in different countries uh, who work for you from maybe Europe or South America or Canada, et cetera. So being aware that you know, they might speak the same language as you, but they might have different cultures. And so understanding how you know, hierarchy works, communication dynamics work in their countries. Uh, so those are all five very practical skills that you can develop to become, to create a more inclusive and diverse team. Yeah, I love that list. That's such a great place for managers to start. And I want to pull out the one on unconscious bias. And mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit more about this because it's somewhat of a controversial topic to do unconscious bias training and what does it work and does it not work? So I'm wondering what your experience with unconscious bias training has been and, and how it can be done well. Yeah. It, so first of all, it's a great question. And second, I'll give you the short answer because I could talk about it for a day. So I'll give you the short answer. I think unconscious bias training works as long as one is part of a program. It's part of a long-term program. So by that, I mean that you are doing this as part of You believe in diversity and inclusion. You want to create a more inclusive and diverse team, workforce, ecosystem uh, with your partners, with your vendors. And so you have a clear mission statement for your organization and you have a program for 12 months, 18 months. So that's that's the first place. It needs to be part of a long-term program. You you want to make sure that the CEO, the the, the managing director of, of the organization has shared a statement with the rest of the team around why they believe in diversity and inclusion, why it's important. And then I think there are other things. So I think you need to have three things that are right. You need to have the right audience. And I think leadership is very important. So not just, uh, you need to make sure your leadership team is fully part of this training. The context, we talked about it. So having the right context, we're framing this. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this training? What is the outcome? And three, the right uh, content. So real life content, real life examples and specific examples, not just a lot of research and statistics. And I think you need to follow up with goal setting, a goal setting exercise. So for example, for one organization, it might be we want to have more women in our workforce or more women in our leadership. Um, we want to get to 50% women in leadership in the next 12 months. So uh, following up uh, with a goal-setting ed- exercise and then creating a diversity and inclusion committee. So a task force who maybe is made of volunteers who are going to monitor progress against your goal. So that's a very short answer to your question. I think it it works as long as we have all these things that are in place. Yeah. So, I mean, those are all such critical pieces. and unconscious bias training and setting it up for success is not 
so easy. And I'm thinking for some people who are listening, right, they're not in a position to ask their entire organization to do unconscious bias training. So are there things, are there little steps or specific things that managers themselves can do for themselves or for their team just to help create greater awareness of the biases that they may be experiencing? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. Regardless of how big or small your team, how big or small your budget, how big or small your uh, your authority, you can make a difference. So, for example, the first thing is stating, just stating to your team, to your direct colleague that you uh, you believe in diversity and inclusion, you think it's important, and you're committed to creating a diverse in, uh, in environment. That's to, That's the first step. You might formulate that verbally or through an email. If you are a manager, you might send a formal email to your team saying why you think it's important. You might share articles. Uh, maybe every week say, I've seen this article and sharing news or a new idea that's something you've seen around the power of inclusion, the power of diversity, because that's what it does. It's setting the tone that you care about it and it's important to you. You might even create a Slack channel, for example. You might create a Slack channel just for you and your team around ideas on how we can be more inclusive and everybody is welcome to share any ideas and thoughts. You might share a podcast that you, you, you know, you found out a podcast around inclusion and you might share that with your team or share books recommendations. So those are all small, very small things that are uh, virtually free, but that will make a difference because what you're doing, you're setting the tone, you're setting the expectations and you're, so you're communicating often with your team and sharing resources. So that's, so, so yes, anybody can make a difference regardless of your budget or your, the size of your organization. These are such great examples because as you're saying, it, it makes diversity and inclusion top of mind for you, which you talked about before of like continually learning. Mm -hmm. And it demonstrates to your team, your role modeling, that this is important and you're keeping it top of mind for them and you're creating opportunity for conversation, which, right, so, so much of mm -hmm. this is, you know, you, you say it once, you write in your mission statement, it's on the wall, right? And then it kind of just falls by the wayside amongst all the many other things that we have to do every mm -hmm. single day to keep our teams going, keep our businesses running. But if you actually incorporate diversity and inclusion work into your management practice, right? If you build habits around it, if you are encouraging your team to talk about it on a regular basis, it starts to infuse in a different way than if it's like a, you know, it's off here on the side is something I'll get to when I get to it. Or, well, you know, I, there's nothing I can do. It's, you know, the culture of my big company and, you know, I can't do anything about it. We actually have a lot of power, as you're saying. Absolutely. Anyone can make a difference regardless of their job title, regardless of their seniority, regardless of how long they've been at the organization, regardless of their budget. Anyone can make a difference. And like I say in my book, and I think it's the last chapter, I talk about um, change starts with you, as in you who are listening, regardless of your gender, your age, your experience, you can change. You might not think so. You might think that, you know, I'm not the boss, you know, I can't change, but actually you can by like being a role model yourself and modeling the type of leader you want to be. So absolutely, I believe that, yeah. All right, so last question before we run out of time. So I know that there are some people, and I've seen this on teams that I've worked with, that feel like diversity and inclusion, it's not good for them. Like when we we you know say it's good for everybody, but really what we're saying is it's good for the people who are in these minority groups, right? It's It's good for if you're, younger or you're older and you've experienced ageism in the workplace. It's good if you're a woman or a person of color or LGBTQ+, but really if you're kind of a a person who falls in a mainstream category, then 
it's not really good for you. <laughs> it's just kind of like we're saying that. And I'm curious what you've seen work in terms of how to bring people who don't feel like diversity and inclusion is for them into the conversation in a way that makes it feel like it is authentically about them too and for them too. Yeah, it's a great question. And I get that a lot. I get that a lot from groups that are more what would be considered the mainstream or the main groups in, in power, etc. So the short answer here, again, because I could give you lots of different answers, but for the sake of the time, the short answer is one way to do it is to talk about the bottom line, talk about the business outcomes, you know, what's what's in it for the business. So people who are a bit, you know, skeptical about diversity and inclusion say, well, there are actual benefits for the bottom line. And it's not me. Don't take my words for it. Uh, look at McKinsey reports and Harvard Business Review reports and Boston Consulting Group's reports. And everybody says that the more diverse your team is, the more creative thinking you're going to have in your team, the more innovation. And by the way, it's not just for research and development, the innovation type of thing. It could be innovation in your marketing, innovation in your sales techniques, innovation in your HR department. So the more diverse your team is, you're going to have more creative thinking and more innovation, which leads to better, usually better performance out of innovation. And the second way to look at it as well is if you have a more diverse workforce, they are going to better understand diverse markets and you can sell to diverse markets. So for example, if you have a workforce from different countries and they understand the, the country, the culture and the language, you're more likely to sell to those people and that will open up new market routes for your business. So that's one way to look at it, the whole innovation, selling to new markets. And then another way to look at it is if someone is a little bit skeptical about the power of diversity inclusion for the business, it's talking about trying to find what's their personal story, what is their personal experience related to feeling excluded, because everybody has felt excluded one day, one way or another. And so finding what's their personal story related to feeling excluded and how that, that can relate to the business. And one last thing I would say is share success stories from other companies. So, you know, companies that are super successful like Starbucks, McDonald's, Nike are all investing in diversity and inclusion and they're even rewarding Financially, there are executives who bring more diverse people in their team. So surely if, if those uh, success com successful companies do that, there must be something in it for the business. So that's sort of three ways I would approach this sort of skepticism around diversity and inclusion. Those are such great suggestions. And I just want to piggyback off of the one about their own inclusion experience or rejection experience. Mm -hmm. And it's a I, I did this with the team that I'm working with where we had everybody craft a diversity and inclusion why statement. Like, why mm -hmm. should I care about this? Mm -hmm. And we had kind of a similar starting point of, well, maybe you care about it because it's good for business. Maybe you care about it because it's good for your career, right? Like, mm -hmm. and that's okay to say, like, mm -hmm. I'm going to manage my team and be more inclusive in my own leadership because it's going to help me advance in my career because mm -hmm. this is something that companies are expecting of their managers. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be an empathetic or heart-wrenching thing mm -hmm. that's driving you to do this work. It can be something that is more about business or career advancement. But getting clear on why this matters for you, regardless of who you are in the system, can be really helpful for helping to keep the momentum going, right? Help keeping your learning going, helping to keep you paying attention to this when it does feel like there's so many other priorities or when it gets to sticky spots in the conversations that you know are, are somewhat difficult to have. And if you have something to fall back on to say, well, why am I really doing this? Like, why am I showing up 
and having these difficult conversations. Why am I going through these trainings? Why am I prioritizing this? It's because I have this why statement that is the, that is driving me to do this. And um, so that's just been a powerful way I've seen to help, help bring people in, kind of similar to what you've been saying. Absolutely. And I agree. I uh, actually have a, a guide on my website in my blog section. I talk about sort of a guide to diversity and inclusion. And my step one is always start with why. Uh, why is diversity in, why is diversity and inclusion important to your organization? So start with your mission statement. So absolutely agree with what you just said. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. So now we actually are out of time. So can you tell us, Perrine, about a fantastic manager that you worked for and what made this person such a wonderful manager? That's going to be an easy answer for me because I do have one. His name is Steve. He has been or is still, he's been the best manager I've ever had and he's still my mentor to this day. Why? Because he genuinely cared. I mean, it really, that's as simple. It is that simple. He genuinely cared about me as a human being and about other people in his team as a human being beyond just, you know, are you being productive? Are you hitting your goals? Are you uh, delivering for the business? It was, he genuinely cared about me, uh, whether I was okay, whether I needed help, support, you know, through good times, through bad times, was always there for me. And so those types of managers are very rare, but they exist. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's his name, Steve. And he's still to this day, my mentor and just a great, great supporter. Wonderful. And where can people learn more about you and get a copy of your book, Inclusion? Yeah, my website is my first name and last name.com. So it's perinefarg.com. So you can subscribe to my newsletter on my uh, website and you can even find a copy of my book on my website, which is also on Amazon and it's called Inclusion. Thank you so much for sharing with me today and walking through all of these wonderful tips for managers. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for me. I loved your questions. Uh, great, great chat. So thanks for having me today. In place of a guest bonus this week, Members of The Modern Manager get my cheat sheet, five easy actions to become a more inclusive leader. To get this offer and many other resources, become a member today. So go to themodernmanager.com slash join. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rockstar boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.